This episode of Bird's Eye View is brought to you by Be More Around Town. If it's a major event in Baltimore or anywhere on the road, you know Be More Around Town is involved. From their efforts to support reopening day to home games, pre-parties, to orange road trips, they are the best way to get social all through Birdland. Game tickets, drink tickets, DJ, transportation for road games, they've got it all. And it's not just the Orioles. Be More Around Town has purple road trip packages to all seven away sites for the Ravens schedule. Show the league just how well Ravens Nation travels. Just sit back and let Be More Around Town handle the planning. Check it out at BeMoreAroundTown.com. Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. And welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is June 15th, 2015, and this is episode 126. My name is Jake English, and I'm here, as always, riding on the coattails of Scott Magnus. Now, if you're listening to my voice right now, you're most likely doing it at our website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. It's also possible that you found us on the Baltimore Sports Report. Uh, we appear in the Baltimore Sports, Repair, Baltimore Sports Report Network as one of the proud members of that fine establishment. You can find our show and many other great shows like it. Make sure that you check out Baltimore Sports today. Also tune in all season as we bring you BSR's post-game live. Scott and I make regular appearances Tuesdays and Thursdays after the game for a post-game show that, well, it doesn't involve the Mars ads. You can find this show on lots of third-party platforms like Miro, Stitcher, and also iTunes. If you go to iTunes, please make sure that you review and rate this show. We greatly appreciate it. On social media, you can find us on all the usual suspects, including Facebook, where we're at be, uh, facebook.com slash BEVcast. But the best way to find us is on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. And with that, Scott, it's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you drinking this week? Uh, myself, I am drinking a, what is this? It is a Ballast Point Even Keel Session IPA, which is a fantastic beverage. Jake, I'm drinking nothing tonight. Yeah, what's up with that? I'm completely coherent. I'm not drinking anything. I'm already suspicious. Well, you should be. All right. With that, let's just say that there might be something later on the show that will whet my appetite. I'm frightened. Yes. I'm so frightened. Let's go ahead and talk about the medical wing. I really want to discuss Jonathan Scope. I think that's the one topic that is kind of going through Orioles fans' minds of it's definitely a, a missing cog, um, and it certainly has been for the most of the entire season, and it has led to us playing players like Everett Cabrera and playing Steve Hurst at second base. Jimmy Paredes. Jimmy Paredes. Uh, we do not speak about Jimmy Paredes in the field. <laughs> but even the Steve Pierce second base experiment has to be the big story of, oh my gosh, what the heck is going on here? Um, but Jonathan Scope um, is coming back and doing some rehab assignments. And, you know, all, all talk is, you know, he's talking about coming back and actually playing some minor league games at the end of this week on Friday. Can I 
Can I confess something? Sure. I'm a little suspicious. Okay. I'm not a doctor. I don't know anything about PCL, partial tears. Look, I, I don't know anything about that. Did you go to a Holiday Inn last night? I may have. Mm, okay. I may have. Um, I'm a little suspicious that this is going to be a bigger deal than we think, that Jonathan Scope's going to come back, try to play on this thing, and end up having to you know, have surgery or have something else happen to him. Because isn't that so Orioles? It is. Um to be fair, we've had people that had PCL injuries and have come back before for the Orioles, and they didn't come back that season because one of them was a great two. But I think you're forgetting about the amazingness, which is Wilson Bedemeet. I oh, would wait. Li- I would like to forget about Wilson Bedemeet. No, Wilson Bedemeet. I- Wilson! I'm sorry, Wilson! I watched that injury. It was god-awful. It was pretty bad. It looked like someone took a rifle and just shot him across the field. It was terrible. But yeah. uh, look, you know, this is completely the baseless opinion part of our program. But I'm just a little concerned that he's going to come back and he's not going to be right. That's all. <laughs> okay. I, I can understand that. I think that he's young enough that he can really come back pretty quickly, so... All right. Uh, what else we got on the medical wing? Nobody's heard anything about Jason Garcia. Jason Garcia is he's working through it. Although I saw Wrestling Wright is going to be making a rehab assignment pretty soon as well, which is a, a good sign. I think that's a, some good competition that you really need from a, from a left-handed reliever right now since Brian Mattis has come back. I think that uh, Wesley, Rice, Wesley Wright can probably uh, walk in runs with the best of them. And also we're going to see a return soon of uh who gosman oh gosman may yeah they're talking about maybe him coming up this week we'll get into that a little bit later uh, but yeah I'd, I'd love to see gosman come up and uh at least be in the uh in the major leagues once again whether it be out of the bullpen or the rotation i, I miss i miss the gas man uh, as well uh you want to get into the twat this week yes absolutely let's do the twat now we use this space here in the twat for a number of purposes this week on the twitters as we call it Sometimes it serves as a grab bag of topics that we don't want to devote an entire segment to. Sometimes it's a way to pay homage to baseball minds that we admire. Sometimes it's a way to send shout-outs to our friends and colleagues in the Birdosphere, and sometimes it's a way for us to connect to our listeners. Now, Scott, I know this is highly irregular, but I would like to devote this week's twat to a single tweet. Highly irregular? That's what this show's all about. (laughs) Your line was, I'll allow it. Yeah. Uh, This tweet comes to us from at Quadzilla. Now, Guadzilla makes an appearance here on the twat occasionally because he's an insightful guy and because his tweets are entertaining. He more appears on the Baltimore Warrens podcast because he has great nicknames, but that's another topic for another day. Now, we've met him, uh, Scotty, yes. on a couple of occasions, most notably during the 2014 ALCS. We were sitting with Alan Smith of the Baltimore Warrens podcast. Except we don't speak of that game, so we really have never met him before. Uh, the two of them made the connection. We yes. were just lucky enough to be there. Guadzilla, great guy, huge Orioles fan. Um, and so this week he tweeted us a picture of a frame set of signed baseball cards, uh, one each of the 20 game winners, uh, with the following text. It said, grad presents from my parents, the four 20 game winners signed cards. It's pretty cool. Like I said, mounted board with the baseball cards all signed. And then a picture also of, uh, the four 20 game winners as well. Just a really cool kind of man cave memorabilia that, I'm kind of envious of, honestly. Yeah, me too. So much so that I, I went to go get some information about it. The the, the tweet, uh, he tagged us, he tagged the Baltimoreans, and he tagged uh, someone I didn't recognize who tweets at S. Lang on sports. Now, in chatting briefly with Guadzilla about the story, it really encapsulated what I hope this podcast is about. And that is, it's about relationships. First and foremost, this podcast is an excuse for me to talk baseball with my best friend, for an hour a week. Scott Magnus, you are the bee's knees. 
Thanks, but not, I'm you know, not also a Washington Nationals fan, so you really can't talk to Josh Finber as well. So, <laughs> Regardless of how crazy the rest of our world is on a week-to-week basis, the fact that we get to do this every week in itself is worth the price of admission. Beyond that, we've met amazing people, made tremendous friends, and have heard some really awesome stories of the relationships that go on with Orioles baseball in the background. Now, Guadzilla told me about his folks and particularly about his dad, Rob, who listens to this show. And talking with his son, that seems to be this guy's only character flaw. Rob is a diehard Orioles fan from Ohio who started following the team in the 1970s and shared that love of Orioles baseball with his family. He makes annual trips to Baltimore and sees the team when they're in Detroit, uh, like, for instance, when they clinched the ALDS in 2014. The guy sounds like an amazing Orioles fan, but I get the impression that he's a better dad. So, Rob, congratulations on getting your son across the finish line. Um, as much hard work as he put in to get him there, it's clear talking to your son that there was as much hard work, love, and support on your part. Godzilla credited Sarah Lang, which is the aforementioned S. Lang on sports, for introducing him to the Orioles podcasts, of which there are many great ones out there. The Orioles subreddit and, and other blogs as a way to connect with the Orioles community, even in diaspora. So, Sarah, you also get a tip of the cap in this week's twat. In this week's twat. Do I get to pop in here really quickly? Look, this is all flattering, and you know it continues to baffle me week in and week out that people actually listen to us and spend time out of their days on their commutes, um, you know, just at the office trying to blow off some time at the work where they don't want to talk to their bosses. It's really gratifying um, to be part of this community as Birds Eye View and to get the stories like this, to engage with the fans who love Orioles baseball as much as we do, as much as we harp on the negative times. We also enjoy the positive times, which really was this week. And it makes the losses that much easier to bear. It makes the wins that much more rewarding. So back to Rob. Um, you know, like Jake said, you've raised a good young man. And um, he's going to make a hell of a lawyer. And uh, we'd like to thank you guys for listening, all of you out there. And uh, Rob and uh, Godzilla, you know, let us know when you make your next trip to the yard. Uh, your first drink, well, it's, it's going to be on us, okay? Um, with that, I think it's a great time for us to build off that positive moment and talk about some positive baseball in the Birdosphere. What? Ah, uh, yes. Mid-90s pop rock music. That just reminds me of middle school right there. So um, terrible choice, Jake. Terrible choice. We decided that, uh, you know, not a really big story this week because there's so much good news going about. Let's just go around the bases and cover a bunch of topics that we here at Bird's Eye View want to cover. I love that we can't find a good topic when things are going well. Yes, we need bad news to harp on for one entire segment. So with this, it's a, a potpourri assortment of good news, folks. Um, so let's talk about it. Starting at first base, the Orioles broke out of their offensive funk this week, posted an average of 5.83 runs per game. They posted a 135 weighted runs created plus, which would have been huge news if the Blue Jays weren't actually going bonkers right now in terms of runs scored. Um, conspicuously, the you know this offensive rush looks like it's come off with Matt Wieters returning and Nolan Rymel entering into the lineup pretty consistently coincidence or something else i don't know it's weird because it seems like 
in the early part of the season, at least in April, you know, you were depending on Jones and then you were depending on Paredes, you know, one or two players would get hot at the same time. And then in May and for... To be fair, that's kind of similar to this work team where we were kind of relying on Nelson Cruz being hot and Steve Pierce got hot and then Nelson Cruz got hot again. So there has been a consistency of reliability on people going scorching hot for... A, a period of time yeah but then everybody and i mean everybody at once got cold in may and that continued on into june here we got new blood and new guys to get hot i, I don't think it is coincidental that you see an influx of uh talented bats in the lineup um there's never been a question about nolan Reimold's ability to hit the ball mm-hmm. there's never been a question about nolan Reimold's ability to play the field it's always been how long can he stay on the field I don't know that the answer to that question is has been answered or oh, will definitely not. <laughs> or will be answered, but I think that as long as he's healthy, he should be in the lineup on a pretty regular basis, and I expect good things from him. Yeah, the one thing that interests me, too, is looking at lineup construction, and you've seen Davis get shifted down into the five-hole as well, and I don't think that's a huge deal, but not having to rely so much on Jones or Davis for that power production and getting it from other people such as Manny Machado and Matt Wieters and other players has certainly been a good thing. And let's not take away from Nolan Rimmel with two home runs this week, too. I mean, uh, the point was made, actually, by uh, Conor Gratio on uh, Baltimore Sports Report in his Monday Monday randomness of it only took Nolan Rimmel 11 at-bats to get to two home runs, and it took, uh, like, Delman Young, like, 80 or 90 plate appearances, which it, it's kind of a quirky stat, but I kind of, like, just giggled a little bit at it because, you know, that's the kind of stupid stuff that I like. Um, but... It's great that these players are back. It just seems like the lineup is a lot more fluid and turning over a lot easier right now. Uh, it doesn't, even at the bottom where you've got a Caleb Joseph or a Ryan Flaherty, having the ability to constantly go through the lineup is really impressive lately. Well, you asked about Matt Wieters, and instead I answered about Nolan Reimold. Sure. But let, let me go ahead and ask you about Matt Wieters. I think it's going to be the type of deal where he gets, you know, regular but not steady playing time while they try to ease him back in. What I love if, this day in, day out, day in, day out. I, I, like I said, with Caleb Joseph and the way he plays, I mean, Caleb certainly has not been great offensively at the plate, but I really enjoy this aspect of kind of wean Weeders. And, and again, we've harped about this over the past three years with Weeders of he can't play every single game. He's going to get injured. He's going to get hurt. Offense production is going to wane at the end of the season. And you couldn't be any better shape right now from a catching perspective of being able to say, you know what, Weeders is nursing something. I want to have Joseph play, you know, five out of the seven games this week and only play Weeders two games, but maybe give him a few DH spots as well if Paredes is doing well. This is a perfect position. This is the best that the Orioles have ever been at a catching depth before. So, And, and remember that this is not a team that has Taylor Teagarden as the backup. You know, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't be dissing at Taylor Teagarden, okay? <laughs> My point is, if we're going to get regular at-bats from Caleb Joseph, that's okay. Oh, yeah. Not only does he does he uh, play a great catcher position, but I also feel that when he is not playing every day, we will be more often pleasantly surprised by Caleb Joseph if he's sharing rather than bearing the load. Right. And not to mention his uh, amazing ability to hit the Yankees very well right now. <laughs> I'll uh, take that. So second base, I want to go to the next base, and Steve Molesky put this tweet out. O starters have now gone 12 straight games. Actually, it was now 13 straight games without a start of seven innings or more. In previous 17 games, they had 11 of seven innings pitch or more. We are recording this on Monday night. We and Chen has now gotten through eight innings, so that streak is finally broken. Huzzah. Um, but it, it's interesting taking a look at this uh, lack of starters going deep into the games, especially with Brian Maddox being suspended and only having a short bullpen. Jake, is this a big issue at this time, or is this just a blip in the ra- on the radar? 
I think it's a big deal. Okay. I think it is a big deal if they cannot get it under control. Uh, I think that you're going to see some things change in the fact that you and I, I, I hope we're in lockstep here. You and I expect Brian, or Brian Madison, good Lord. You and I expect Kevin Gosman to make a return and to uh, come back. I'm going to pause that for just a second. Sure. I was about to jump all over that one. Um, and And the other thing that needs to be said with that is eventually, with the exception of maybe Chris Tillman, I think if the others can't get it done with providing innings, they're going to have to go to the bullpen. Yeah. You know, guys like Bud Norris, guys like Miguel Gonzalez. Now Gonzalez has heard he's going to be out of rotation for a while. But outside of, you know, Chen and and Tillman, if they can't give you innings, they're not going to continue to get a bunch of starts. Okay. My two points would be, Gosselin coming back in the rotation, I'm not sure if necessarily helps in terms of going deeper into games. Even when Gosselin was pitching last year, he never really went deep into games. In fact, I think his average was like 5.2 innings pitch. So to think that Gosman coming back in the rotation is going to all of a sudden be, oh, we've got a person that's going to constantly go seven innings, eh, probably not likely. The one thing that's really bothered me um, over the past week in terms of the starters is the command just does not seem to be there with any of the pitchers. And that includes Habaldo Jimenez, who his command was great at the beginning of the year. Over the past four starts, and I looked this up because there was a Beyond the Box score article about it, um, Abado Jimenez has a 4.43 walks per nine, which is very similar to 2014 numbers. I'm not saying I'm ready to hit the panic button, but I don't like the command issues that is occurring with this team right now. You know, from you know Tillman to Jimenez to Norris, Chen is probably the only pitcher I'd say that actually does pretty decent with command. Miguel Gonzalez does well, but now that he's on the DL, you've got a lot of people with command issues. If you're going to have command issues. That means you're going to get higher pitch counts. If you get higher pitch counts, then you're going to go into that bullpen. And that's the thing. I mean, you're, you're totally right. It's not even that they're giving up a crap ton of runs. No. It's that they're pitching themselves tired. Right. I mean, they, they're just exhausting themselves out there on the mound. And you ask, is it a big deal? Right now, with that thin pen, it absolutely was a big right. deal. Right. And the one thing I will come back to the command thing, and it's a, a topic I wanted to talk about somewhat on this this uh, this whole thing. The one thing that's been saving Orioles pitchers to a certain regard is the defense. A lot of hits, a lot of walk issues, a lot of full counts, but the defense has really paid off in terms of stranding runners on base, um, but also if there was a hit, throwing runners out on the base pass. Defense has really pitched up, picked up the starting rotation to a certain regard. So do I think it's a big issue? No, not ready to hit the panic button, but it's also been great to see the defense pick up the pitchers in the, in the place. And these have been guys who have um, consistently required the fielding because their independent pitching hasn't been good enough in the early part of the season the the defense wasn't there and i I think that's a really great point because without that fielding their era balloons and it's not that impressive totally agree all right you ready to go to third base let's go to third all right we're going to talk about the roster roulette for the baltimore orioles it's been a little uneasy there for a club that we've talked about not having a lot of roster flexibility somehow they've managed to do it Lots of ups, lots of downs, but we've got some stuff coming up. We've teased a lot about uh, Kevin Gosman. We'll talk about it in just a second. But first, let's get to the big, huge story of this week. A story that everyone wants to talk about. Chris Parmalee. He is on the taxi squad. And the Orioles have, as of recording time on Monday night, they have what's left of 24 hours. hours to make a decision. Will he stay? Will he go? Scott, what do you think? Well, Buck Showalter has already said that they've already made the decision for him, which sounds like they're going to make a move. The question is, are they going to make the safe move and just say, 
all right, we're going to option Mike Wright and just kind of hold off for the time being and see what what they can do and just go with a a, a, a short. It's not even a short bullpen. They're basically optioning a starter at that point, and then they'll have to bring up Gossman or somebody else on Friday. Uh, I wrote an article about this on Baltimore on BirdseyeViewBaltimore.com about Travis Snyder. I see Travis Snyder as the man to go. Left-handed hitter has some reach potential. Chris Parmley, I'm not saying he's going to be that potential player, but Travis Snyder was a lottery pick going into this this year. That lottery ticket failed. Uh, Chris Parmalee was a lottery ticket going into this year. That lottery ticket may pay off. It's a good second chance offer. And, you know, second chances are pretty good. I, I would argue that whatever they're getting out of Travis Snyder, they can get from whoever they can pick up off the waiver wire, yeah. whoever they can bring up from the minors. They're not losing anything but money if they let him go. Yeah. Okay. So I, I would say, yeah. Worth the risk. Chris Parmalee is probably on his way up tomorrow. You're, you're spot on. I think that they'll play the roster game for at least another couple of days, send right down, go light on the, the starters until then, and we'll see. All right, so we've danced around it all, all night here. Yeah. Kevin Gosman is, is rumored to potentially start on Friday in Toronto. You say that we should uh, cool our jets on being excited about it. I will say okay. that I think that it'll probably take him a little while to stretch to those full seven sure. innings like we've been talking about. But he's a guy that has command. I don't think that he's a guy that is going to necessarily walk a ton of guys. I think the question is, in the majors, does anything but the fastball play? Yes. That, I think, is going to be the difference between Kevin Gosman being a successful pitcher or not in the majors. Will his off-speed Slurve? Will his off-speed pitches play in the in the majors? Well, first of all, we already know that Kevin Gossman, you know, he's got the fastball, but we already know that, you know, he has a pretty decent – actually, I wouldn't even say decent. He's got a great splitter. So the splitter, there ain't no issue about it. It's really the question of what is going to be his third pitch, and it's the question of does he work in that slurve um, or can he even get a change up in there as well? I think, you know, off of all the th- reports that were given out with the scouting reports that he's got enough of a feel for it that he should be in this rotation. I certainly think he's a better option than Bud Norris. If I'm going between Bud Norris or Kevin Gossman, I'm putting Kevin Gossman in the rotation and I'm putting Bud Norris in as a bullpen setup arm because I think he could serve a very good role just like a Brad Barack. The only issue is you're paying $8 million to Bud Norris, but you're already paying that money, so you kind of just have to eat it for the time being. And here's the thing. I think that right now, Kevin Gosman is probably a better option in the rotation than Bud Norris. And when Miguel Gonzalez comes back, Gonzalez has done nothing but prove that he does belong in that rotation. Yep. But it'll be between, I think, Norris and Gonzalez to say, who's the guy in the pen? Yeah. And to your point, I think that both Norris and Gonzalez are guys that, yes, can help this team win. It just depends on what the role is going to be. And it certainly seems like both of them also have the mindset of, I'm just willing to make this team win, so I, I'm going to be okay with whatever they decide. Um, uh, so let's see. What else is going on? Uh, bullpen shuffle, I want to talk about this briefly. Um, we've been bringing people down, bringing people up with McFarland going up, Oliver Drake going down, stuff like that. Um, Jason Garcia, he's got to get back on the 25-man roster if the Orioles going to keep him. He's right now at like 30-plus games Rock put it out there today. He needs at least 90 games in order to qualify to be on this team. Is there any chance in the world that ever happens? I just don't know. First of all, I don't know where he is. Yeah. Like, what's the deal? He was put on the 15-day. What's the deal with Jason Garcia? He was put on the 15-day DL. Yeah. Like, they need to do something, You would right? think that they would be able to put him, like, on the 60-day DL if it was really that this big of a deal. And and can you say that dead arm is really a 60-day DL? Like, some doctor has to sign off on that. Yeah. They need to either deal with him 
or send him back. Look, I love the fact that they went out and got him. I thought that it was a great... There was obviously something wrong with him to a certain regard because there's no way that you draw from having 96 to 97 miles per hour in spring training down to 91 to 92. Unless you were pitching your arm off in spring training to try to make an impression to get on the team. Yeah. Now, I I love the fact that they used the Rule 5 draft. I really do. And I, I know that a lot of people have problems with it from a contending team. But I think that with as thin as our upper echelon of the minor leagues is, this is a great way to bring talent into the, the organization. But that having been said, if they can't make a deal with Boston to get his rights and they can't find a roster spot for him, let him go. Okay. Um, just as a uh, FYI, by the way, because I like FYIs, um, Jake, uh, who did we pretty much release to keep Jason Garcia on the roster? Ryan Webb? Yeah, I was afraid that you were going to bring up Ryan Webb at some point. So, folks that haven't been keeping up with Ryan Webb because they're like, oh, he's with the Indians. Who cares anymore? With the Indians, pitching 14 games so far, 18.2 innings. He's pitching to a 2.41 ERA. Um, I'm not saying that it's, you know, you know, great, but I'm saying it's it's pretty darn good. He's also got a 55% ground ball ratio, which would be amazing behind this defense right now. He shut the Orioles down during that uh Cleveland series, right. did it not? Yeah. I mean, I just think, you know, Ryan Webb trading him away and losing a draft pick in the process was a really bad proposition. So I understand where you're coming from of, yeah, let's rebuild the upper echelon of the draft. But the other aspect is, if you're going to do that in order to basically get rid of Ryan Webb, which are actually doing a somewhat okay job, um, I have a hard time going along with that. So Yeah, but use him. If you're going to yeah. keep him, use him. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right, let's go on to home plate. Um Got a got a question for you. Sure. Uh, actually, I got a statement and a question. It's a long thing. I don't. I, it's me. I'm yeah. going to ramble. It's bird's eye view. We're just going to ramble. <laughs> Dan Plesac was on the MLB Network on MLB Tonight uh, tonight, and he said that of the five teams in the AL East, his money was in the Orioles for repeating as champions of the AL East. He saw this team go from hapless to go on a winning streak, and you know this winning streak did in fact happen. So my question to you, Scott Magnus, is this. Was this streak what the Orioles needed to get them back on track? Or is Dan, as many Orioles fans are, drinking the Kool-Aid too quickly? I think um, I think Dan is drinking the Kool-Aid way too quickly along with a bunch of Orioles fans. Uh, yes, it was a great week. The mm-hmm. Orioles did amazing versus the Red Sox and did very well against the Yankees. But I'm going to need a larger sample size of some series wins. Now, to be fair, they have won three series in a row with Cleveland, the Yankees, and the Red Sox. But I'm going to need at least a month of winning baseball before I'm willing to crown them as, yep, they've got to be a potential potential champion once again. Um, certainly, I love seeing the defense come back. I think that's a telltale sign of a really good baseball team. But I'm not going to crown anybody after three series. Just like I'm not crowning the Toronto Blue Jays for going off 11-game win streak, I think the Blue Jays are equally, if not more talented, than the Orioles from a roster construction standpoint. Um but I'm not going to crown anybody in the American League East. It's honestly wide open. Um, and that goes for even player, even teams like the Yankees and the and the Rays. You know, the Rays, I was looking at Kevin Kiermaier's stats this year, and they're unbelievable. So you've got to tip your cap to a certain regard to the rest of the teams that are uh, competing with the Orioles. And it's not going to be easy for the Orioles as well. You saw what happened with this you know six-game winning streak. And even with that, they're still in fourth place. And I, I know people are going to say, oh, they are only three games back. Yeah, but you're going to have to jump over three other teams to get there, which I'm not saying is impossible, but jumping over teams is much more difficult than being in second place and only being three games back. I'm I'm almost 100% with you. 
All right. I agree with you that uh, we can't get too excited. We can't spend too much time patting ourselves in the back because our team doesn't suck the way it did through the entirety of May and, and part of March, uh, part, part of June. But I will say that it's definitely a lot more fun to watch baseball when the Orioles aren't totally helpless. Am I correct? Oh, it's really fun. It was a really fun week to watch baseball. The defensive highlights and just the offensive production was really fun to watch and also partake on Twitter as well. So here's the thing. I feel like in in many ways, the offense is slowly climbing out of whatever funk it was. We've talked about getting some fresh blood. You know, guys like Adam Jones are no longer scuffling as as much as they were. Chris Davis has, has made a, a triumphant return to not being terrible at yeah. baseball. Um, you might want to segue really quickly here while you gather your thoughts. We talked about this with Matt Taylor last year when the Orioles were scuffling as well during this time. And people were going crazy like, oh, you know, they're never going to win again. They're, you know, a 500 team just like they were in 2013 you know this is what we just should come to expect and we pointed out with matt from war from 34 who's a great blog you should go over to war from 34 and check it out um but we pointed out that a lot of the earl weaver teams during the 60s and 70s as well had pretty mediocre aprils and may i mean they were not that impressive but then when we looked at the numbers for like june and july and august they went gangbuster and there was a really cool article on fangrass i think it was from jeff sullivan where basically was looking at win percentages for playoff teams in June, and it basically showed that once June hit, those teams basically took off and the winning percentages much more matched the aspect of how well people perform. Whereas winning percentages in April and May, eh, there was some correlation, but it was pretty weak correlation. Again, Buck has said this before. The teams that are good teams are going to start to separate themselves from the pack in June and July, and that's the critical aspect. This is a good sign for this team. Things are finally starting to gel but I'm not going to crown them champions just yet. And it's put up or shut up time. Yep. This is the time where they need to win. Yep, totally agree. Now, the bullpen, I think, is is really saved them with the starters going going uh, the way they have been. It's going to be time for all phases of the game to settle themselves down and win some baseball here in June and throughout. All right. Well, with that, folks, I think we have uh, talked your head off enough. Um, you know, Jake, I, I started this whole episode without a drink. But after talking that much, I'm a little parched. You mind if we uh, take a quick break and maybe I uh, pick up a drink? That'll work. So, Scott, guess who's in the wine business? Um, us, really, most of the weeks. But <laughs> <laughs> No, you usually mock me when I bring red, red wine to this. No, uh, I mean like whining. Oh, yeah. there's that. Womp womp. The Orioles are in the wine business. They're, they're producing an Orioles-branded red wine. Why? I have no idea. It's such a weird vertical for the Orioles to be in. They do not need that. First of all, if they were to, if they were to brew a beer, yeah. I would get that. Like, brew a beer, sell it at the stadium. Yeah, okay. Except every single time I go to Dempsey's, I never order the Dempsey's beer. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Orioles are producing some sort of Cabernet Sauvignon, which is red and also wine. It's a ridiculous thing. So it's a Boca box and a bottle, basically. Basically. Okay. I'll, I'll bet you it's terrible. Yeah. I'll bet you it's terrible for 14 years, and then it's somewhat drinkable. Ooh. That's see, nice. See what I did That's, right that's good. That's good. But it got us to thinking. 
what other Orioles-related drinks could we talk about? Now, we have talked about the drunk Gary Thorne extensively. And the, whoa, Nelly. And, and if, you, if you will allow me, I think that the Jim Hunter would be nothing but orange Kool-Aid. Yes. And our good friends, the late Orioles spastics, talked about the Gin Palmer. One part uh, lemonade, one part iced tea, seven or eight parts gin. And you're still bitter that you never thought about this. I'm really bitter. I didn't yeah. think about it first. But I wanted to talk about some of our current players for whom drinks could be modeled and maybe some marketing could happen. So let's let's go ahead and run through that. Um, I'd like to I'd like to run through just let's run through a couple. Sure. Shall we? Let's go for it. First and foremost, my favorite Oriole. David Lowe. Oh, dear gosh. David Lowe is screaming skinny gar- a skinny girl martini. Ooh. But wait. Skinny girl martini served in a champagne flute. Now, you see, the, the flute limits the amount that you can pour and therefore limits the fun. It probably tastes like poison, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For the Adam Jones cocktail, I'm going to go with an offshoot of a Long Island iced tea. I'm not going to call it a Long Island iced tea. I'm going to call it uh, a San Diego bomber. Um which is the five-shot drink for the closest drink to a five-tool player. We've got um, Adam Jones. It's cocktail packs a punch. Uh, too many of them can uh, pack be a bad thing. And similarly, Jones has shown that uh, sometimes his shtick uh, can wear thin. But most of the time, it's the perfect combination of all your favorite things. And really, is there any other player who is more likely to hit a home run the first inning, providing that immediate buzz? I rest my case. Very nice, very nice. I'm going to go uh, for Darren O'Day. Okay. Darren O'Day, I envision as a uh, as a pina colada. If you like pina coladas. You're, you're way ahead of me. Oh, okay. Give me a sec. All right. All right, now this goes along for me with his self, uh, self-proclaimed throw-like-a-girl mantra. Mm. All right, you know, it's the a Jenny girl, Finch, it's a yes. girly drink, you know, that kind of thing. O'Day might not look like he packs a strong punch, but his rising fastball, the aforementioned Jim, Jenny Finch, or the vicious slider that he had will knock you on your butt if you take them lightly. Besides, after a few too many, who hasn't sung along with Rupert Holmes? Or getting caught in the rain. Boom, boom, boom. All right, next one is Tommy Hunter. We're going to go with the Four Horsemen. This is pretty simple. It's tough to stomach. But it either gets the job done with a serious punch or it leaves you violently ill. Please don't go boom. Please don't go boom. Please don't go boom. And it's on my wall. I, I, <laughs> I can admit, envision somebody about to, take the, uh, about to take the drink and just saying to themselves, please don't go boom. Please don't go boom. Please don't go boom. <laughs> All right. Who's your next one, Jake? All right. J.J. Hardy. I have, I, I'm so torn about J.J. Hardy okay. that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wimp out and I'm going to do two. Okay. I apologize. Fine. It's for J and then J. Right. The first one is the Tom Collins. And with a bulky shoulder, with a bad back, and a litany of other physical ailments, why wouldn't this old man drink just scream J.J. Hardy, right? Yeah. Now, that's one way of looking at it. The other way that I looked at it, and I couldn't couldn't decide between the two, which is why I'm doing it this way, the other one is the gin and tonic. And, Mm -hmm. Scott, you know how I feel about gin and tonics. Yeah. J.J. Uh, Hardy is a gin and tonic, and, and here's why. Nothing flashy, but at the same time, nothing better. The perfect mix of grit and beauty. Hey, if you want a sexy drink, you look elsewhere. I'll take my J.J. Hardy my gin and tonic. I'm going to roll over on this one and just say gin and tonic is definitely a J.J. Hardy drink. The Tom Collins, eh, that's more like a buck drink, I think, is a Tom Collins. All right. J.J. is definitely gin and tonic. This is an easy one for me. Chris Davis has to be Jack and Coke. 
raw power, little finesse. Chris Davis, Chris Davis either jacks one out or he can't hit jack shit. Nice. All right. I'm, usually, like, we needed to call Charlie Hoppus on this one for the pronunciation because yes. I'm going to maul this. Yeah. But I'm going to go for Wei Yin Chen. Also, we need some Chen tweets. <laughs> with a, a Taiwanese yes. liquor. All right. This is a, a, a drink called Kaoling. Kaoling. Okay. I don't know much about this except for what I know about Wei Yin Chen. And that is that it is Taiwanese. It's smooth. And it will sit you on your butt before you know it. We just saw it here tonight on Monday night with Wei Yin Chen mowing people down. Look, the problem they have with this drink in Taiwan, it comes in, in two varieties. And this is terrible. They say... The internets, they. The internets, Say yes. that uh, it's, one is very popular with women, one is very popular with men, one has a high alcohol content in the in the 50s, one has a lower alcohol content in the 30s, and uh, it's so smooth that you take it for granted until you've had your fill. Okay. Uh, next one, going to be Ryan Flaherty, who's easily a shot of vodka. Look, on its own, a shot of vodka is nothing special, but just as Flaherty isn't good enough to be a starter regularly, a shot of vodka can be plugged in Pretty much just about any drink to make it better. It's the perfect complementary ingredient, the perfect utility player. Shot of vodka for Ryan Flaherty. I love it. Uh, next one, Travis Snyder. Again, whoever wrote an article about, you can check it out at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. It's got to be the O'Douls of the Baltimore Orioles. He doesn't pack a punch, and no one wants him around anyway. Ouch. Yeah, that was a little brutal. All right. Caleb Joseph, I thought a lot about this, and... Um, I think he's rail drinks, like, okay. like rail tequila, and this is why. Look, you go to the bar, and you ask for something, and, the, and they either don't have it or it costs way too much, right? right? So you I'll bar- have Patron. Oh, that's going to be $8. Oh, I really don't want to pay $8 for a shot of tequila. Or, or you say, hey, can I have you know a margarita or whatever drink it is? And the bartender says, is rail okay? And you know you begrudgingly accept. But you know what? It's the best drink you have all night. Yeah. No name brand, but it works. Let me lay you. Let me lay this one on you, okay? Brian Mattis, okay, one of my favorite Orioles, just like David Lowe. Brian yes. Mattis. <laughs> Brian Mattis is like Goldschlager. You know how that drink is supposed to work, right? Yeah, you're supposed to put it in someone's beer and then they're supposed to fall asleep. Oh wait, that's yeah. another. That's a personal story. Go ahead. Uh, so, according to the urban legend, the drink has tiny little gold flakes in it that make uh, small cuts in your esophagus as you drink it, so that the alcohol enters your bloodstream that much faster. What? All right. I, look, I don't even know. that. That's probably. Do you really think the government would let someone sell it if you cut your esophagus? Look, it's not. It's clearly not true. But what better way is there to describe Brian Mattis than tiny, little, glaring, constant cuts that will not stop? Okay. I give you Brian Mattis. Jake, we're going to end it with this. And, you know, I get to pick the last one. So I'm going with Dumb and Young. And there really is only one choice for Dumb and Young. It's Manischewitz wine, of course. No? It's a red, red Red wine. wine. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, with that, um, I think it's time we go ahead and go through a few numbers from last week. Uh, Let's dive into Fantasy Boss and see who won it last week. (sighs) Not again. And I just gotta keep insisting. Oh, oh baby. baby. You sure do sway. When it comes to kissing, I just gotta keep insisting. Oh, daddy. 
All right, so went through the numbers because the uh, the stat we picked last week was pitches per plate appearance, and Jake, I picked uh, Chris Davis, you picked Manny Machado, and uh, we got into a whole debate last week about Sig Figs, and uh, well, it wasn't much better this week. Um, Manny Machado saw 107 pitches over 27 plate appearances to Chris Davis's 99 over 25 plate appearances. That breaks out to 3.963 pitches per plate appearance for Manny Machado and 3.96 pitches per plate appearance for Chris Davis. Are you saying I took you to the thousandths? You took me to the three thousandths place. Yeah, that's that's uh, you get the win. I mean, I'm not going to argue that because kudos to that. But man, that's kind of funny that we made a big deal about Sig Figs and then it comes back to Sig Figs at, at a later point. Look, I don't feel good about it, but I will say this: this is a this is a real win, though. We we. First, number one and number two again this week. Exactly. We had gone one and two in many of our early fantasy bosses and then kind of fallen off uh, the the wagon, if you will. But now here we are back picking great options. So I will take this win. Uh, It brings us to five, three, and one in favor of Scott Magnus. He is, of course, at this point so far the fantasy boss. But I want to take us for week nine of this season in 2015 – to a stat that has gotten a lot of love recently, and that is Weighted Runs Created Plus. I'm so glad you brought this up. Now, Weighted Runs Created Plus, WRC Plus, is a, is a stat that uh, w- appeared on Masson on the broadcast On the broadcast with Gary Thorne and Mike Borick trying to explain it to the audience. Now, everyone that listens to the show should know very much about Weighted Runs Created Plus, but... You know, the it's great to see Weighted Runs Created Plus be brought up on a regional broadcast uh, and have Mike Borodick read it from a teleprompter so adamantly that maybe people would actually believe it's a real stat, um, which it is. I think it's a great stat. Um, so just really good to see that kind of mainstream. I'm hoping that we see further sabermetric terms that out there as opposed to just saying, let's just look at on-base percentage because that wasn't there 30 years ago, but then it came to all the rage, and we need to start getting into these other statistics as well. Here's the thing, though. I feel like they had no idea what to do with it. Even even with the fact that obviously oh. some intern had written out notes for Mike Bordick to read because that's what he does. Yeah. To be fair, though, Gary Thorne was on there, and he, they were comparing Bryce Harper to Manny Machado, and he said, oh, well, you know, Bryce Harper has a 211 weighter runs created plus, which means that, you know, that means if the average is 100, that means, you know, he's 111 percentage points better than the league average. And I'm like, Okay, that's that's not terrible. I mean, it's not exactly right, but it's pretty close. And Bordick did mention that it does equate of um, taking into advantage the aspect of whether they're home or away or what stadium they're playing in as well. So, you know, they did a pretty good job of accurately des- describing it in a quick 30-second blurb. So, tip of the cap. And here's what I think the problem is with advanced metrics. Or, or uh, Here's the problem. We all know after hundreds of years, you know, 100 plus years of watching average and home run and RBI, what's good, what's average, what's subpar. With some of the newer metrics, the average fan doesn't know these things. You right. know, they don't have the point of reference to say, oh, he's batting the Mendoza line. Right. They don't have the point of reference to say, oh, he's hitting 400. That's amazing. I feel like all they would have to do is explain the scale. Right. For if you, some of these, if, if, the scale, if they said the scale is if you're at 100, you're a league average player. If you're below this or above this, then you're not a league average player. And that's why I think the pluses work. Yeah. ERA plus is another great right. example. The average is 100, and then over that is good, and under that is bad. Sure. And I think with weighted runs created plus, you know, it's just another example of an easy way to bring a stat that I, I think covers so much more yeah. than what you're getting 
So I, I think also for the younger generation and also for this generation of getting everything out into 140 characters, it's a lot easier to display offensive production in terms of ERA plus or weighted runs created plus as opposed to writing out an entire slash line to a certain regard as well. All right, so you're going with weighted runs created plus this week. I'm going with weighted runs created plus. What is your selection? Um, okay, well, this player certainly hasn't been lighting it up recently, but I have a feeling that he's going to break out for it pretty soon. I'm going with Adam Jones this week. All right, that is a really good choice. I'm going to go more in the hopeful vein than okay. anything else. I'm going to go with Chris Davis. Okay. Uh, definitely two players that... Chris Davis actually had a pretty good week. He had a 145 weighted runs created plus this past week. Adam Jones only had a 102. I'm just I'm going to play the hand that is Adam Jones has to get hot again eventually, and hopefully he gets hot. But Chris Davis has been pretty good with uh, getting some extra base hits and some long ball recently as well. So I think if you look at the trend, though, you you've got a better chance of Adam Jones breaking out than Chris Davis continuing. Well, that's that's my hope, but uh, we'll see who's going to own it. And with that, let's go over and see who did own it this week in the good, the bad. And the ugly. All right, folks, that's time for the good, the bad. And the ugly. I'm going to start this week, actually, with my good. I'm going to go Orioles bullpen. Orioles bullpen was lights out this past week. I think the only person that gave up a run was Chaz Rowe. And I know people are going to say, well, Brian Mattis gave up runs. But actually, those runs were not credited to him. They were charged to Mike Wright because he did walk the bases. Mike Wright, you know, had a bad game. But Brian Mattis walking in the run, eh, it's tough. Um, But just, you know, I... Besides Brian Mattis, the bullpen did great this week. So I'm going to give my tip of the cap to the Orioles bullpen this week. All right. I, I think that's a great uh, selection. My Especially good, with stars only going five innings and six innings most week, most games. The, the bullpen, I think, was the hero of this winning streak. Yeah. I think I think you're spot on. My good for this week is going to be Manny Machado. Manny Machado had a great week at the plate. He did. He was 11 for 26. You know, if you're going to go by average, he, he batted 423. His on-base percentage was 500. That's all good and fine. He drove in five runs. He walked four times against two strikeouts. Look, all that is amazing. He got the AL Player of the Week award. Fantastic. I'm really excited about what I'm seeing defensively. We talked a lot about Manny Machado not being right. Manny Machado is back to being right. You can see it in his gait as he leaves the field. He's on. There's no better way to see that than that barehanded play he made this week where the ball hopped up on it. He knew he had to grab it and throw it, and he did it. He's picking a lot of balls that were eating him up earlier in the season while whatever was going on was going on. Manny Machado is back. And he's producing at the plate. He's my good for this week. Definitely really good this week. Really, really impressive plate discipline and really impressive in terms of how he's stroking the ball across the entire field. Um, my bad for the week. Uh, it's got to be the American montage that plays during the Star Spangled Banner at Cannon Yards with, you know, promotional pictures and just terrible, terrible stock photos. Baltimore Orioles, you need to cut that stuff out. It does nothing. No one's watching that and saying, Gosh, I feel proud to be an American. The Star Spangled Banner and shouting O oh, is all I need during the Star Spangled Banner. Those things are brutal. Yeah. They are absolutely brutal. 
My bad for the week is Chris Tillman. And Chris Tillman is is simply not living up to being the leader of the staff as he has as he has taken on. He's taken on that mantle. It's yeah. been handed to him and he's not doing it. You and I got to see him pitch in person. Yeah. And Chris Tillman is not getting it done. And the thing is that when I watch him pitch in person, I feel like when I'm at the game, I can't watch as critically as I do, you know, at home. You don't get to see the replays. You don't get to see the positioning as well. You don't get to see, is he missing by a little or by a lot? Is the pitch sequencing not where it should be? From the upper deck, Chris Tillman was awful on Sunday. He's not going deep because he has this habit of when he misses, it's nowhere near a competitive pitch. I'm sick of seeing him throw in the middle of the other batter's box when he misses. And Chris Tillman is a guy that needs to give this team innings. He needs to get this team moving in the right direction. And that's not happening. And you cannot expect a guy like Mike Wright to be the stopper for this team. It yep. needs to be Chris Tillman. You know, the Orioles had considered giving this guy an extension. And right now, with the way he's pitching, I'm glad they didn't. Yeah, just going through a few numbers for his past five starts, Jake. 6.41 Ks per nine, 4.73 walks per nine. Home runs are way down as well. But the fact that his strikeouts are so far down and his walks are so high, uh, right now he's got a 4.73 ERA, 3.74 FIP, and a 4.93 XFIP. Just not good numbers. Um, Abaldo-esque from a 2014 standpoint, really. And he's, actually a lower K per nine than even Abaldo had in 2014. He's just not a mystery to yeah. anybody. So definitely agree. Bad as of recently. All right, my ugly is going to have to go to... It's a combination between Travis Snyder and Delman Young, who are absolutely abysmal at the plate this week. Both of them posted, uh, let's go back to the weighted runs created plus category. If you combine both of them together in their 30 plate appearances total, they posted a 14 weighted runs created plus. Yeah. So that's your corner outfielders right there. And let's point out, league average is 100. League average is 100. So Jake, as much as you wanted to point out saying everyone got hot on the Orioles over the past week, no, that wasn't the case. Not everybody got hot. Travis Snyder and Delman Young continued to flounder. And uh, for players that are supposed to be bringing their bats and not their defense, they uh, they pitched uh, they they played pretty poorly this this week. So they're my ugly for this week. Jake, what's your ugly? My ugly for this week is Yankees fans at Camden Yards. That's always your ugly when the Yankees come to town. You know what? I thought I was over it. Yeah. I thought the last time that we played the Yankees that the the Yankee mystique was over. That this was just another team. It it no longer bothered me to lose to the Yankees. It no longer bothered me that that they were the Yankees. But here's the thing: the Orioles were uh, had won five games in a row, right? Um, they they were working on their second sweep in consecutive series against the the Red Sox and the Yankees. You and I were there in the ballpark, and I thought to myself, you know what? If they lose today, no big deal. Yep. You know, still a good homestand. I'm I'm willing to deal with that. And then there they were. Yeah. There they were, and it just drove me crazy. I am so sick of being uncomfortable in my own stadium because they come. And and having gone to an opposing stadium, again, I had no point of reference before this season because I, I had always said I won't travel with the Orioles until they're good. You know, Sarah and I went to Boston, you know, a heated rival, yep. to go see the Orioles play. And there were a ton of Orioles fans. Yep. There were a lot of Orioles fans. And you know what? We were not dicks in their park. Right. You cannot say the same for Yankees fans. It's a sense of entitlement. It's as simple as that. 
And I'm sick of it. Yeah. I am sick of it. Orioles fans, I'm going to call you out. When the Yankees are in town, buy tickets. Don't let them in. Make it difficult. I will say, however, now that I've ranted and raved about the, the Yankees, I'm very proud of Camden Yards. Walking in, we parked the lot at, at the, the parking lot at uh, Pat and Pren, uh, Pat Pen and, and Pen, and we walked in the, the tents outside. Sure, yeah. We're selling Orioles and Yankees gear. Which they've done in the past, so. Did not see any Yankees gear in the Orioles stores in the stadium, that's, which has been the case in the past. Yes, that's good. So I rant, I rave, but Oriole Park, you're all right. All right. All right, well, with that, let's go ahead and blow the save. Jake, pace of play rules have undiably, undeniably had an impact on MLB games this year. In fact, there's been talk about whether pace of play is having an impact on certain players like, oh, David Ortiz, for example, about him having to constantly stand in the batter's box as opposed to walking around and strut, strut, strutting himself. Um, so we've seen our share of three-plus-hour games, notably Sunday's game, which is three-and-a-half hours. Um, and then we see games like tonight on Monday night, which the game was just over two hours. The overall average has been shorter by about 15 minutes. Um, and now that we've had some time with it, what's your take? Good, bad, evil? Well, you know, I was very suspicious of the pace of play rules before I actually saw them happen. So you saw something new and you're like, get off my lawn. I'm suspicious. I rushed to judgment. Gotcha. Yes. Uh, I will say I don't mind it. The only thing that I mind is I still feel like the seventh inning stretch is rushed. I feel like that's only because they don't play the Beatles for you. I I feel like they have, you know, because they don't count the God bless America against you and all that kind of good stuff. And I get that outside of the seventh inning stretch. I think the pace of play has worked fine. Yeah. And I have not felt awkward about it right now. I'm starting to look at uh, when guys get off of the uh, step out of the batter's box uh, and think to myself, is that guy going to get fined right now? But I don't think it's really interfered with the play of the game at this point. Again, outside of, yes, wanting to hear uh, a, a little bit of the Beatles after Thank God I'm a Country Boy, haven't minded the pace of play rules. Am, am I crazy? Nope, you're not crazy at all. I think it's actually been a pretty decent transition. And I felt like a lot of games, even between the Yankees and the Red Sox, have somewhat shortened, whereas before they were always three-hour marathons. At least we've seen a few games this past week, which were only two and a half to three hours. Now, the Sunday game was terrible, but we've at least seen some pretty short games this week. So uh, kudos to Major League Baseball for trying that out, and hopefully that continues. With that, I don't think we have anything else to talk about. We've chewed your ear off enough here. And, uh, you know, the Orioles, not saying it's a big week coming up, but... uh, it certainly is a, a week where they should take advantage of the situation. They're all big weeks. Yeah. They they wasted May. They're all big weeks from They're all big out. weeks out, but a good opportunity against a pretty poor Philadelphia Phillies team. Good opportunity for the Orioles to go and get hopefully three out of four, and then big series this weekend, big, 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 against the Toronto Blue Jays, who are red hot. Hopefully, they eventually cool off, and they cool off right in time for the Orioles to come to town. Here's hoping. Yeah. With that... Anything else? I've got nothing else. Baltimore and beyond, I bid you a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. I could really go for a J.J. Hardy right now. No Manischewitz? Nah, just J.J. Hardy. I'm sorry. J.J. Hardy. Like a J.J. Hardy with lime.
You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.